Blog Talk Radio. So vast, so great, the African embrace, the color of life, universal harmony, the earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity, human beings. Human love on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African embrace. Live beyond, love beyond your skin. To where you belong. Jungle, we started for original niggas. Do you send a 
and you look at the kind of uh, destruction, the kind of authoritarian uh, mindset that exists in relation to U.S. foreign policy, one thing is very, very clear. When we look at this kind of destruction being waged around the world, at some point we got to realize that this same authoritarian mindset at some point is going to come home, come home here to affect those, here, those in the United States. And so this co- correlation between authoritarianism that's practiced abroad and authoritarianism practiced nationally is something that we've got to pay close attention to and be very concerned about. So no longer can we think or we can ill afford to think uh, that what happens abroad doesn't affect what happens here inside the United States because it's simply not true. And having said that, Brother Africa, I wrote something, and I think that maybe it provides some clarity in terms of the point I'm trying to convey here, and I certainly hope that people would, would uh, uh, appreciate uh, those two things I have to say because I think is key in terms of understanding the predicament that we find ourselves here in North America. But anyway, two words that define U.S. foreign policy are hubris and obsolescence. Based upon a framework established during the Bretton Woods in 1944 and are ill-suited to address the challenges of the modern economic state and the complexities thereof, policy formulated in 1944 with the express purpose of maximum economic gain for 44 nations at the expense of 149 other nations utilizing a colonial script presupposed colonialism in all its forms will be embraced by nations crippled by international financial schemes that ensure their subjugation. The notion, non, the notion non-resistance would, so, would somehow endemic in oppressed nation's DNA proved to be a faulty hypothesis. Resistance of various scales and intensity permeated the globe in an effort to counter oppression of allied states while preserving some semblance of their humanity. Empires like the U.S. historically have demonstrated a lack of compassion or even acknowledgement of policies embraced by empires contributes to a feeling of desperation among colonized states, compelling states to resist more strongly. This resistance in turn motivates empires to double down on strategy and tactic to maintain their advantage. Maintaining imperial advantage is best facilitated by, allied, by other allied states who identify with imperialism's objectives either because of mutual benefits or access to world resources from poor states or cultural affinity which sees the world divided between the global north versus the global south. This conception of a bifurcated world gets complicated when representatives of the global south assigned ally status are expected to embrace, indeed, carry out policy to perpetuate imperialism's objectives. In the case of China, the U.S. held high hopes that the Chinese Central Committee could be corrupted to carry out the dictates of imperialism. Ensuring China becomes part of the World Trade Organization and assign the most favored, favored nation status, signal China together with the U.S. that both nations strategically could plunder and steal the world's resources with little resistance from struggling economies. Implicit in the scheme was the notion China was to take a back seat to U.S. interests. In an ancillary position, it is expected China carry out economic exploitation of both its citizens and exploitation of the global south. This strategy failed miserably. During the recent meeting between the U.S. and China in Anchorage, Alaska, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken made it clear, quote, Ruth Bates' order, end quote, established by the U.S. must guide China's foreign policy. Visibly upset China's economic initiatives weakens U.S. or Western imperialism, Blinken implied Belt, Belt Road initiatives must end. China's investment in infrastructure development in over 70 nations, while providing favorable financial terms for infrastructure development among poor states, directly impairs the U.S. or Western states' 
financial enrichment vis-a-vis international banks, IMF, World Bank, uh, financial schemes, which utilize exorbitant interest rates. When China representatives stated they will continue to pursue economic policy beneficial to China, Secretary of State Blinken exploded, quote, these actions threaten the rule-based order that maintain global stability, end quote. The tiger, a diplomat, Jichi of China, responded, your problem is, quote, struggling democracy, poor treatment of minorities in the U.S., and criticizing China, end quote. The, the intensity of this ass-whipping diplomat Jichi unleashed on Secretary of State uh, Blinken was only last observed when Billy Steele was knocked out on a U.K. train as far as, as, far as racial abuse. Hard-pressed to respond, uh, Blunt caught Blinken by surprise. In continuation of his candor, Jichi added, quote, the U.S. uses its military force and financial hegemony to carry out long-arm jurisdiction and suppress other countries, end quote. The veracity of Jichi's statement is well documented. Examples abound. For example, U.S. threatened Germany to shut down Nord Stream Project. The Nord Stream Project is a Russian-German liquid gas pipeline. If they don't shut it down, the U.S. talked about uh, trade barriers for Germany. U.S. reneges on NATO expansion on Russia's border. Russia, even though U.S. assured that there'd be no expansion, the U.S. did exactly that. U.S. expands NATO troops to Russian borders to provoke a skirmish, skirmish between both Russia and the Ukraine. U.S. funds and arms terrorist formations in the Middle East. According to Jake Sullivan, the national, current national security advisor, he reportedly told Hillary Clinton, quote, Al-Qaeda is on our side in Syria, end quote. Now, against this backdrop, Blinken could only respond that Chinese were grandstanding. Obviously, the power and outreach of the empire is waning. The, the kinds of abuses inflicted upon poor people in the U.S. and around the world by imperialist militaries will one day be inflicted upon the citizens of nations that embrace imperialism, U.K. and France as examples. In the U.S., any observation or discussion on U.S. atrocities gets you labeled a domestic violent extremist. Ironically, just being aware of U.S. transgressions qualifies you as an enemy of the state. Based upon a dubious definition, sociologists, psychologists, anthropologists, political scientists, historians, and all readers of news are, are, are all enemies of the state. Now, now this step toward authoritarianism is reinforced by moves to criminalize free speech and freedom of assembly in the U.S. In lieu of Derek Chauvin's conviction for killing George Floyd, it has been reported 34 U.S. states in excess of 81 bills specifically to criminalize demonstration. These measures, coupled with CIA surveillance inside the U.S., suggest authoritarianism is not only a viable strategy, but a necessary strategy to ensure capitalist domination politically as well as economically. In this context, the masses of poor people, irrespective of skin color, constitute an existential threat to the ruling order and must be dealt with harshly. This includes a proven policy that justifies more police death and destruction, not less. The only conclusion that can be drawn is drawn is disclosure of truth is threatening to the powerful elite power elite. Perhaps there is a sense attempts at concealing the truth by mainstream media is not working effectively. Alternative sources of information serving as a catalyst inspire more people to seek a more entailed picture of the plight confronting humanity is problematic for ruling elites and must be curtailed. If power broker's intent is to discourage the attainment of knowledge, it would not work. The very existence of humanity compels many to grasp the objective reality of life while we ponder our place in the universe. History is clear on this point. <laughs> 
So, so Brother Alka, have to say that. I simply close with that and hope that people get the point to the relationship between what happens abroad and what's happening right side and in, in right inside the United States. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses. We'd like to welcome Brother Moses to Africa on the move. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. Uh, I'm pro-choice, and I vote. And I want to thank you once again for allowing me to be on the show. All right. Thank you, Brother Moses. And to our listening audience, this is Africa on the Move. What we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for a cause, go to a rubber share culture break. And when we come back, we want you to join us by calling 323-679-0841, hit 1, and let us know what's going on in your world and the community. We'll be right back. This is Brother Africa. Talking on Africa on the Moon. We'll be right back. Tu 
ye vita tukata ye vita juki na fitina ili kongo yende mbele na afrika nzima mama 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 eh oh na lelie mama
We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. This is Brother Africa. And like always, we speak truth to power. We're going to be in the seat, and we're going to take the heat. As we define it, we're also going to stand behind it. We welcome you to call in on the segment that we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. During this segment, we are expecting a particular phone call to get an update on the activities and what's going on with our brother Moon Abu Jamal, which should be coming in shortly. Until then, we're going back to your political analysts and panelists. We can start off this time with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, we want you to talk to us. Tell us what's going on in your world and the community. Brother Moses. Well, Brother Africa, it's been an interesting week. Uh, we certainly the trial is over now, and uh, this this pig has been convicted, and uh, we can hopefully get him sentenced and uh, move on. Um, I don't know. Um, there is, there is um, coming up this week. Uh, President Biden is going to give his State of the Union or some kind of address to Congress, and that will be coming up. Uh, it's been a, uh, um, a slow week, really. Uh, um, I don't really nothing really stands out as extraordinary. Uh, so I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Brother Moses, okay, right now, Brother Haki, we're going to bring you in. You tell us what's going on in your world in the community. Brother Haki. Well, Brother Africa, you know, um, I, I got to say, uh, you know, I, I want to, to engage in some plain talk in terms of what capitalism is really all about. And it's easiest, the easiest way to do that is to talk about capitalism uh, and what it means to be a commodity. Often we equate uh, being a commodity with something that's inanimate. Uh, often we don't understand that people also can be commodities. And as such, uh, not understanding that means that we fail to really comprehend the, uh, the, the ruthless nature, you know, of capitalism and in, 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 in all its uh, manifestations. So having said that, Brother Africa, I want you to check this out because I think uh, this just pretty much sums up in terms of this whole question in terms of what it is to be a commodity in the context of capitalist society. Now, capitalism penchant uh, toward ownership plays a big part in the systematic abuse of poor people and the disregard of their humanity. Ownership, as noted by Webster's Dictionary, is the act, state, or right of possessing something. Also, ownership is equated with inanimate objects, intangibles that are accessible to human beings irrespective of economic status. Capitalism takes ownership a step further by defining commodities as not just objects to be acquired or human beings as well. Looking at the evolution of capitalism in its feudal stage, the commoditization, commodification of human life was observable. Human being lives were directly impacted by artisans of the church or the nobility class who held the means to inform the poorest quality of life. Quality of life implies the possibility to extract the labor or the coercion of labor from the poor would improve as productivity increases. But the quality of life the wealth envisioned was quite different. <coughs> They attempt, what, as far as they're concerned, when they talked about the quality of life, they're talking about um, to more efficiently convince the poor uh, no alternatives exist, that the ruthless exploitation experienced by the poor is both just and proper. This strategy will be reinforced by the evolution of cities 
and public officials who were bestowed legitimacy in the eyes of many poor people. Now, if we fast forward to Western slavery, particularly U.S. slavery, uh, we can take another look at terms of the, the this evolution of slavery in terms of its, its manifestations. Unlike feudal slavery, U.S. slavery was not only used coercion to obtain, <coughs> to obtain free labor, but directed institutions to justify ownership of human beings. This sense of ownership did not end with the Civil War or the Compromise of 1877, but took different forms, justifying black bodies as, commodi- as commodities. Structural racism, institutional inertia, combined to ensure black people would continue to be perceived as commodities despite the passage of the 13th Amendment, which ends slavery, the 14th Amendment, uh, which established citizenship of African people, or the 15th Amendment, which clarified our right to vote. Ironically, states continue to find ways around the amendments, and the federal government reluctance to address the violation of laws suggests the federal government does not have a vested interest in ending the commodification of African people. Now, if we take the argument to its logic's conclusion, we have to conclude all humans are commodities under capitalism. And in viewing political policy, it is clear what the masses of people desire is never reflected in congressional policies. The masses of people want jobs, affordable housing, single-payer health care, ending the socialism for the wealthy. Now, disregard of these concerns not only invalidates claims of democracy, but underscores how little people's lives, or poor people specifically, are valued. If human life is valued, how should we account for the dismissive behavior of ruling elites? It seems to me the masses of people serve only a means to an end. If the masses, if the masses only value is to empower and enrich ruling elites, then their function is less than a citizen, one who participates, but more a subordinate whose worth is dependent upon the needs of the powerful and the rich. Is this not the definition of commodity where the aspirations of the masses is held hostage? Let me put it another way. When the U.S. Congress voted on GMO, or genetically modified organisms, labeling, the proposal was defeated in the House. The bill would have compelled food producers to list on food labels any food produced by GMOs. According to the World Health Health Organization, GMO technologies are carcinogenic. Despite the public support for GMO labeling, their concerns were disregarded. As a result, this this massive spending uh, (coughs) to the tune of millions of dollars by agricultural corporations, particularly Monsanto, uh, (coughs) the bill was defeated. The question that everybody arises, why is the help of people secondary to agricultural firms' desire to defeat this measure? There is no question agricultural firms pay millions of dollars yearly to politicians as lobbying fees and and the corruption it engenders. But more germane <coughs> is the lack of worth of those advocating for policy. Obviously, uh, people as commodities carry little weight, and their health is inconsequential. How else could the masses be viewed? There are many examples of government policy which totally dismisses the concerns of the citizenry, underscoring the lack of esteem afforded them by the powerful. While these indignities manifest themselves across the board, some indignities are more difficult to confront than others. In the case of congressional investigation, it was revealed four leading baby food makers intentionally distributed baby foods that exceeded exceptional uh, accepted levels of metals. Reports stated toxicity levels were in the range of 100 parts per billion as opposed to the acceptable range of one to nine parts per billion. Top baby food makers, Gerber, Beach Food, Nurture, Inc., and Hain Celestial, 
were found responsible for distributing baby food with high levels of arsenic, lead, cadmium, and mercury. These metals, known for their toxicity, toxicity have been linked to cancer, chronic diseases like cystic fibrosis, COPD, lung disease, asthma, and diabetes, in addition to neurotoxic effects or damage to babies' brain development both physically and intellectually. All this could be avoided by placing topsoil on arable land for planting. The, the fact lives of babies takes a backseat to profits suggests the one thing of value held by the masses is their money. Capitalist right to money at all costs places little, if any, value on life. Life without money has no value and is, and is impossible to commodify. Parents with babies is a large market and the attainment of wealth possible. Just, <clears throat> just the kind of commodity uh, capitalism can exploit. So clearly this question in terms of commodization and, uh, and people's lives is very, very clear. And so we look at the policies that acted by the so-called Congress, and we look at it in terms of their inability to address the real issues that people are confronted with, it suggests that you're a means to an end. So how can wealthy people benefit from you? Well, they benefit in many, many ways, but one thing is sure, uh, at the, um, the thing that's most important to them in terms of benefiting is the whole, term, the whole thing in terms of having access to your money. So clearly, uh, there's a real problem in terms of this kind of this kind of reality, as 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 we understand capitalism. Brother Haki, what we're going to do right now, we can go to that column. Last for number seven two three six. We're going to walk her in. Africa on the move. Caller seven two three six. Would you like to share with us what's going on in your world in the community? Seven two three six. Um, Good evening. Um, My name is Eleanor, and uh, this week it continues to be the pandemic, uh, the situation in India, also uh, Earth Day, and of course next week it will be International Workers' Day. So thank you so much for allowing me just to say good evening to everyone and how much I enjoy your show. Thank you. Hello, Brother Moses. Um, earlier in what's going on in your world and the community, you talked a little bit about the recent decision or verdict dealing with George Floyd. And you seem to uh, arrive at the position of Maybe this decision is a strong decision and people can get justice. Let me just pick it back a little bit on, on this decision and get people something to think about. And I would like to have your response and others. You know, when we look at this process, many people believe it was very difficult to believe that they would come with a verdict where they would truly indict that particular police officer, which, by the way, I just recently learned that this is not the first one he killed by using a technique of putting knees on a man's uh, neck and killing him. And if I'm not mistaken, he killed someone else, a young boy about 14 years old, where he did it for 11 minutes. And he has a horrendous record of having all kinds of violations and complaints for over 19 years and nothing was never done to him. But anyway, looking at the decision, you know, one can speculate that there will be an appeal. Looking at the behavior of the judge, who were doing something very unusual for judges to do, which is to coach and advise, you know, 
Wahid and Judge Seat, as he talked to the defendant lawyer about the possibility of not only retrial but doing the trial out based upon certain um, statements and actions that were done outside of court, which may arise to being able to do this, i.e. vaccine order, as an example of her behavior and statements. Now, if they appeal this case, and given the reality of the behavior of the judge, and also recognize what most people are missing, even though they tried him for three particular crimes, he basically, if he get any time, could only be, be a summation of one crime because the crimes were done concurrently. All of them are grouped together as one. And they're talking about the max of, of 40 years or so in the minimum, maybe 10, 10 to 12. But even if he got the minimum 10 to 12, there is a law in Minnesota that if you do two-thirds of the time, you'll be eligible to walk. So it's quite possible if he get any time, he might get as low as eight to nine years at most. So I'm just wondering, Brother Moses, do you truly believe that to the panelists, when all said and done, will this, will this man some kind of way walk? I'm just curious in terms of your opinion based upon the dynamics of some of the things that I've just stated concerning the whole judiciary process and how it has always been pro-officer, pro-police. What's your take on that, Brother Moses? And then other panelists can weigh in. Yeah, um, my understanding is, yeah, he won't be um, com- he won't be uh, sentenced for anything, but uh, I think one one of them, and that's uh, one count, and that's the thir- I think thirty year count. So yes, he he will be out, uh, uh, and uh, if, depending on the appeal too. I mean, what the court system does, um, we know that uh, the white power structure has a way of coming up with a miraculous verdicts and uh and so on appeal you who knows what might happen but but uh uh we have to stay in the streets as, as Maxine Waters put it uh, and confront heighten the contradictions and confront and uh, continue to put demand justice justice uh uh we have to continue to organize this is a battle and you know we're fighting a war and this is one battle when uh, we have to see it from that perspective. Uh, hopefully, you know, like people will continue to raise consciousness around Black Lives Matter and, and uh, the sensitivity to the needs of black folk and that, you know, we will get uh, someday a, a revolution, hopefully, uh, with this consciousness raising to the point where people see there needs to be a fundamental change. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Brother Moses. What we're going to do at this point in time, we do have our sister with us, Sister Johanna uh, Fernandez. We'd like to give her the opportunity to give us a recent report update on the condition and the health of Brother Mumia, the status of the surgery, what's the future moves in terms of trying to help our brother to get out, and any other important information that we need to know about upcoming activities as it relates to the issue going around, going on as it relates to the well-being of Brother Mumia Abu Jamal. So we will welcome Sister Johanna in. We'd like to welcome her to Africa on the Move. Welcome, my sister. Thank you so very much for having me. I'm literally out in the street. I was at a demonstration. Um, let me see if I can uh, leave this establishment. But 
we had a very large event in Philadelphia for Mumia's birthday yesterday. It was a huge success. Uh, many, many people came out, and we want to thank everyone because Mumia is alive today because of the commitment and um, actions of people who called the prison, who called the DA's office, who called the governor and the Department of Corrections to demand that Mumia be treated with dignity. And as a result, Mumia was able to actually call his wife at some point after the surgery. So Mumia did have surgery on his uh, heart arteries, which were clogged. Uh, He is in better condition now. He's not entirely out of the woods, but but he's stable. And uh, we had a full weekend of activities beginning this Friday, Saturday, yesterday was his birthday, and today. And we are asking people to go to letmumiaout.com for more information, letmumiaout.com. Today he happened to have called me while I was out in a demonstration against anti-Asian violence in East Harlem, Harlem uh, and Washington Heights in New York City. He happened to call me when we were speaking uh, at this demonstration, and he spoke to the crowd. He seemed a little weak, not himself, but he was very lucid and spoke on the issue of anti-Asian violence and was greeted by a huge crowd of, of supporters who, who expressed his love, their love for him. Okay, excellent. Now, Sister Johanna, there are some more ongoing activities that may be, that is coming up this week as relates to his well-being. Can you discuss some of the upcoming activities, if I'm not mistaken? I believe tomorrow there should be some press conference on them and some other stuff, but what do you know in terms of future activities that will well, be taking place and how we can support it? Well, we're continuing to ask people to make calls. Uh, The activities around his case and his birthday weekend really culminated today, but tomorrow there will be a press conference, and that will be on the subject of the bones of the children who were incinerated in the move house on May 13th, 1985, in Philadelphia, during the bombing of the move house uh, we found out that bones have been um, used by the university of pennsylvania and by princeton university by anthropologists uh, it's just something that's macabre that shocks the conscience that is only done in this country against black people um, it's a desecration of these children and our people and so there's going to be a press conference tomorrow i believe it's at 4 p.m in philadelphia that's initiated by the move people to discuss um that horror um so that's what's happening most immediately um what is before us is um a possible reopening of mumia's case There is new evidence in Mumia's case that was discovered about two years ago, and that is that the key witness um, of the prosecution in Mumia's case uh, back during um, the first phase of the case in 1982, the key witness whose name is Robert Chobert, 
uh, wrote a letter, a handwritten letter to the then prosecutor, Joe McGill, that literally says, where's my money? I've been trying to get in touch with you for a while. I haven't gotten any response, but I want to know where's my money and where do I have to sign? I'd be willing to sign anything in order to get my money, suggesting that Robert Schobert, the key witness of the prosecution, was bribed by Joe McGill to identify Mumia as the shooter of Officer Faulkner, the white police officer that Mumia is wrongly accused of killing. So that's new evidence, and we're asking the courts, his attorneys are asking the courts to send the case back to the lower courts to review this new evidence because in uh, in the post-civil rights movement era, only l- lower courts can investigate and review new, new evidence. Excellent, excellent. If you got a few more minutes, we would like to maybe have a panelist, they may have a question concerning on Mamiya. Uh, Brother Haki, any questions or concerns you'd like to ask our sister while we have her on the line? Yeah, uh, my question pertains to the uh, desecration of the... Uh, of the remains of the of the children, I tell you, I'm, I'm hard pressed to even understand the, the logic behind this. Now, assuming that the the remains went to the University of Penn for the purpose of forensics, it's understandable. But the transfer to uh, Princeton University for further studies, I maybe you can clarify to me precisely what is your what is your view in terms of what what, what really what really transpired? Because to me, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it seems to me that uh, obviously they had a motive, and that motive has nothing to do in terms of in terms of justice. That there was other, perhaps uh, they wanted to uh, conceal something that they were doing. But in any event, what do you think in terms of uh, when you, when you view this case? What are your thoughts in terms of this particular case? Well, it's baffling. What could you possibly need these bones for if it's not? for the purposes of putting the state on trial. These bones apparently have been used in anthropology classes. Uh, Unclear to what end, we don't know. And we want answers and we want um, to send the message to the world that this is unacceptable. And quite frankly, I think heads should roll. I think that uh, the university needs to be held accountable. The anthropologists, the anthropology department, the professors, uh, both at Princeton and the University of Pennsylvania. I have no idea why they would be using these remains of children in a classroom. It, it's, it's shocking. Unclear. Unclear. And, and I can, it's white supremacy and racism of the worst order. It's it's the eugenics movement in the 20th century and the 21st century. The eugenics movement of the late 19th century, um, racism of the late 18th century, brought into um, the 21st century. Okay, let's go to our sister Eleanor. Any questions or comments for our sister Eleanor? Yeah, because I this podcast isn't over until nine thirty. Sister Eleanor, um, what's your name? Thank you. Yeah, my name is Eleanor. Thank you. Eleanor, is 
E N O R. E L E A N O R. Thank you. Yeah, who am I speaking to? This is Johanna. Uh, thank you yes. so much, Alexia. Yes, I think Eleanor might be in a different conversation. Yeah, thank, thank you, Alexia. Let's go to All right. Let's go to, bye-bye. Let's go to the next caller. All right, Brother, Brother Moses, any question or comment that you may have for our sister? Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Certainly want to thank the sister for uh, hanging in there and being... Uh, 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 steady uh, voice pro- protesting the uh, injustices being done to Mamiya, and we we thank her for that, and we thank the the the, the weekend uh, demonstrations. Uh, certainly, that's that's encouraging, and uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, things will will get better, uh, and uh, hopefully, we can free the Mamiya. Uh, that's the goal. I think we need to to get him out of this 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 so-called justice system, uh, and uh, back home. Uh, I'm just going to leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. What we're going to do, Brother Maurice, the mic is yours, and then question concerning Mamiya to Sister Brother Maurice. Yes, greetings, uh, Africa on the move, and Brother Africa, and I just want to make a comment to thank the sister for bringing this information out to the people and to the public uh, with the bones being used of, of, of children who was bombed in Philadelphia. Um, I, I appreciate the struggle and also her struggle with getting our brother and our, uh, our, our, our comrade, Mamiya, free. It's been an ongoing, long, long, long struggle, struggle and battle, and I just want to salute the sister for being a part of, of that battle. Um, from getting get him get getting the meal, trying to get him free. Uh, I was, I'm happy to hear that he did uh, communicate it with his wife, um, but I, I hope that he will one day be free again from from from, the, from slavery. This is what's going on. Thank you. The only treatment is freedom. Uh, and so we call for Mumia's immediate release, but also the release of all political prisoners, and especially in this period of all prisoners over the age of 50, aging prisoners for whom imprisonment is a death sentence. Uh, so we thank you for amplifying the story. If people want more information, they can go to letmumiaout.com or bringmumiahome.com. And I just want to raise up the name of Pam Africa, who's been a warrior in this movement for 40 years, the person who has single-handedly kept this movement to free Mumia alive over um, the ups and downs of, of social movements like, like ours. So thank you very much for, for um, keeping Mumia in your prayers and in the struggle and in your, um, and in your program. Okay, caller, your last four numbers, 1108-1108. Any questions or comments you'd like to raise with our sister? Call 1108. 1108, any questions or comments? If not, we're going to our last caller. Caller, your last four numbers is 8252. Any questions or comments you'd like to ask our sister, Jill and Jamil? 8252. 
Okay, I guess you have no question coming. Sister Johanna, again, we'd like to thank you for the updates. And any final words you'd like to leave with our listening audience? Uh, it's really time to free all of our political prisoners, veterans of the black power um, era in the United States, the late 1960s and early 1970s. It's the moral assignment of our generation to free our political prisoners who are imprisoned because they dare to stand up against empire. Uh, and their struggle is, is greater than themselves. It's a struggle for the complete transformation of American society and the world. So it's a struggle that is ours. It's a struggle that sends a message to the state that we won't allow them to repress and lock up people who fight for justice. Um, that's the message. Um, Mumia, everyone knows, is a veteran Black Panther, imprisoned radio journalist, freedom fighter, known as the voice of the voiceless. It's time for him to come home. Thank you. And we thank you, our sister, for keeping us abreast on Mumia. And, again, any new information come about, please keep us in mind. And, this station will be available for you. And give our love to your brother. We thank you very much. I will. Thank you very much. On the move. On the move. All right. We're listening to Africa on the move right now. We're talking about what's going on in our world community. Right now, we're going to bring in our brother Maurice. He can share with us what's going on in his world and the community. Brother Maurice, the mic is yours. Yes, yes. Uh, well, to start, um, a lot of things are, are, are going on, in, you know, in our world, the African world. Um, I don't even know, honestly, know when, where, to, where to start, to be honest with you. Um, it's kind of kind of caught off guard, but I, I start with uh, while, I'm cipher, while I'm ciphering through my current events. Um, one thing that's going on uh, in our community is... I'm sorry, bear with me. Um, uh, bear with me, bear with me. Sorry about this. Uh, just trying to gather my thoughts. One thing that's going on in our community was uh, a, a host of things, but the first thing I, I start with is um, it, it was an article that came out in the Associated Press about uh, the fight against uh, racism in the foster care system. Um, it came out that that black families suffer. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, black adults who adopt black children from foster care often um, often receive in, in, you know in, inequities or in, uh, in inequality. Uh, you know, they basically. The system among the fans of the racism uh, in the in the foster care system, black children accounted for 32 percent of the children uh, in the programs, compared with 13 percent of the overall U.S. Uh, child population. Black children had the lowest rate of reunion, um, um, sorry, reunification with their biological parents. Uh, and uh, basically, in 1994. Uh, activists urged a reevaluation of of the 1994 federal law that prohibits child welfare organizations from considering race as a basis for rejecting people who want to 
adopt or be foster parents. Um, and the, the article, the major point of the article is stated that a major purpose of the law was to enable more white families to adopt black children from foster care. Um, so that's, that's one thing uh, that's going on, you know, in our world, because I don't want to say my world, but my world is your world, right? So that's one thing that's going on in our world. Uh, another thing going on is the, the ongoing battle for the African burial ground here in Richmond, Virginia. In connection with the African burial ground, the city, again, bought a, a piece of land that is also connected to that to, 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 to that burial ground. Um, it's the historical black burial grounds and uh, on on the east, well, on the east northeast end of Richmond, Virginia, on, lo- located on 1305 North 5th Street. Uh, they got that property. It sits right right above um, Interstate 60, I mean, you know, 64, conjunction 90, Interstate 95, and they just recently bought that that property back from, I mean, uh, as the site, the Chaco Hill African uh, burial burial site. So those are two things that's going on in, in our world. And I thank you so much for uh, bearing with me while I gather my thoughts. No problem, my brother. We're now going to make a switch to our sister, Shirley Pate. She can share with us what's going on in her world in the community. Sister Shirley, welcome to Africa on the Move. The mic is yours. Okay. Thank you very much, Brother Africa. Um, well, we had a very good day in Washington, D.C. Uh, today, uh, we participated in a caravan for Cuba uh, to end the blockade, the U.S. blockade against Cuba. And um, we had a very good turnout. We had uh, over 20 cars painted in the caravan, and uh, we crossed through uh, several different parts of the city as we went. Um, It's obvious that D.C., like most other cities, are just starting to kind of begin to wake up a bit from COVID, and uh, people seemed kind of shocked at first when they saw us uh, coming. Uh, But then we received a a great deal of support from people along the sidewalk, um, and then afterwards, we um, we held a rally, and uh, we decided that we were we were going to continue uh, to participate in uh, caravans on a monthly basis, supporting Cuba. And uh, the next one is going to be on uh, May the thirtieth. So uh, amid a lot of uh, unhappiness in D.C. over a variety of things, um, I believe uh, actually people were cheered to see um, others out fighting for a cause, and they expressed uh, their solidarity with us along the way. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Shirley. We'll be controlling over time, going back to caller. You can ask for a number, it's 11-1108. If you have anything you'd like to share, what's going on in your world community, uh, the mic is yours. If not, we'll move on. Yeah, it looks like they just want to listen. Okay, let me try again. 
Call 1108. Any questions or comments you'd like to share with us? What's going on in your world in the community? Call 1108. Going once, going twice. Okay, I guess they just want to listen. You'd like to give everybody an equal opportunity. All right, panelists and guests today. You know, we just recently talked about this recent verdict dealing with um, George Floyd. I just feel curious in terms of the issue of... Um, how do y'all make out since then, since the trial, you have had many other Africans still being gunned down by police officers? Uh, this recent case on by East Carolina, uh, on, on East Coast of North Carolina, um, what's the college on East Coast of North Carolina, where the young brother was in the car run, running away from the police. He was shot down. They are being the case was they broke into the sister's house, shot another one. There seems to be no stop in these. Um, Assassinations of these young folks. What do what do y'all make of all of this? Um, you know, what single, what message is the the judiciary system is sending while we continue to have these these killings day by day, week by week? So, panelists, I like to weigh in. What do y'all make from it? Even after this recent verdict, brother Haki. Yeah, well, you know, you know, my thing, Brother Africa, is, you know, I, you know, I think uh, we have to be very candid when we have these kind of discussions. One of the things we have to first and foremost understand, we're talking about, we're, we're talking about living under the context of a system. And until people can grasp that fundamental concept in terms of living under a system, I think it's very difficult for people to see uh, police killings as somehow an isolated event. It's important we understand that, you know, the police serve an interest. And when we go back and look at the history of police officers, one thing is clear. And when we talk about the slave patrols during the, 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 the slave era in America, the other job specifically was the, the, the oppression, maintaining the oppression of, of African people, even to the point where African people ex- attempted to escape uh, the, uh, the slave the slave, uh, slave plantations was a crime. So clearly the, um, the, the objectives so of the police have to change you know, through the years, through the centuries. And we have to be very, very clear on that point. But just in terms of the federal government, in terms of, you know, is the indifference in terms of the plight of African people in society, one of the things I think we have to understand is that, you know, those people in, 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 you know, in positions of power uh, also place a great deal of value on money, money and power. In order to maintain that money and power, one thing they have to do is they have to make sure they have a force in positions of, po- in, in positions of strength, a position of power to essentially uh, prevent those who are disenchanted, those who are powerless, those who are hungry, those who are dispossessed, to have in place some type of mechanism to ensure that those people are kept in place. The police serve that function. And so, therefore, when you think about in terms of the economic malaise that's sweeping this, this economy, we look at the, the increasing number of unemployed, the homelessness, the joblessness. Uh, when you look at the uh, people who don't access affordable homes, when you look at people who have access to education, when you look at all of these, these situations or these socioeconomic situations, then one thing is clear, that inevitably people are going to rise up simply because out of frustration, if nothing more. So clearly the police are empowered in terms of dealing specifically with these, these individuals who are disenchanted. And the people in positions of power understand that fundamentally, which is why when the police abuses their power, uh, this, the federal government refuses to come down and refuses to, to allocate refuses to, to, to innovate policy specifically to uh, prevent these kind of things from happening. Because we've got to understand that federal government has a vested interest in maintaining the oppression of people. Because one thing is clear, 
when you look at the history of struggle in the society and you look at the level of oppression inflicted on African people, now African people have a long history of standing up and fighting back. Well, what would happen if the message, the struggles of African people became being internalized by other groups? Uh, the government would have a real problem, real, uh, a real solution, real problem on its hands. And so, therefore, to prevent from having a problem on their hands, and they authorized the police to brutalize and to kill African people, and African people have no, 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 no real response in terms of being able to actually prevent this kind of thing from happening. Well, let me just clarify that. I mean, we can prevent it from happening, but it takes massive organization and understanding in order to prevent it from happening. But at this point, we're not there yet. So the bottom line is that, to a large extent, we depend on um, recognized structures or institutions to, to, uh, to uh, prevent uh, the killing of, of African people by police. But the fallacy of that position is that, you know, it's very, very clear, the federal government cannot, under any circumstances, prevent the police from, you know, unleashing all kind of brutality and death against the African Union because it serves the interests of the powerful and the rich. So clearly, you know, so when we talk about police brutality, we have to understand that it's not going to go anywhere. It's going to continue. Even though Chauvin was convicted, uh, we should be very, very clear. His conviction, to a, to a large extent, was a result of pressure. All those people who were willing to take to the streets, if in fact he was acquitted, uh, played a big part in terms of his conviction. Make no mistake about that. It wasn't just because people were doing a good will or people somehow think, uh, uh, think that, uh, somehow think that uh, the, the, the police are incapable of doing bad things. They were intimately aware that if they didn't convict him, that the repercussions were people in the street, and you talk about massive violence. And that, I think, it was a big incentive in terms of people voting to, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, convict uh, Chauvin. And I'll close with that. Brother Haki, real quickly, real quickly, we're going to our next panelist. Based on what you said, would that give the so-called right-wingers Legitimacy when they use that same argument to say this is why he really wasn't guilty, but they gave you pressure, it gave you public pressure to jury. Well, but, 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 the, but, the, but the question is, brother Africa, you know, um, can can the right wing some sometimes have legitimacy? I think occasionally they can say things that has a lot of legitimacy. I think in this case we can't discount the, the, the possibility that people were influenced by you know uh, you know about the rally that. If this guy was acquitted, that would be price to pay. We can't discount that. Uh, I would like to believe that the Jews were like, you know, upstanding individuals, and they would say, well, listen, based upon the evidence, clearly this guy was was was, was guilty. But the bottom line, we're seeing many, many trials where police openly kill people and they get away with it, simply because the, the, the public, by and large, gives the police the benefit of the doubt. And so, therefore, we can simply liquidate that history in terms of offensive jurors to, to, to side with police officers. So we got to, on some level, agree that there must have been something in terms of the way they think that encouraged them you know, to convict this guy, and not necessarily because they thought the cops are good people, but because of tradition, I think, to a large extent, uh, would have dictated that they actually you know, uh, uh, acquit him. But I think that the repercussions of acquitting him was just so great, I think it did have, on some level, some, some um, um, palpable um, impact on the way those Jewish think. A thought. Thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Eleanor, give us your take while we continue to have these assassinations by police officers, even after the verdict. Even in some cases, one way I can do in the verdict. Your response to this, Sister Eleanor. Well, uh, thank you. Good evening, Brother Africa. I, I saw the Chauvin verdict as being 
just something that had to happen, uh, not only because it was just, and we could see, we saw George Floyd being murdered. Uh, Just the uh, impact it's had on the United States and the globe required that some justice be given. But look what happened here. We had Wright buried yesterday, a 20-year-old father. We continue to have these shootings. I think the cultural environment uh, needs to change. There's a cultural paradigm that we've all bought into that uh, somehow uh, the police are correct in their assassination. They're protecting others from harm. When we saw the 16-year-old child who had called the police ends up being shot by the police because she was holding an, um, apparently a knife, allegedly. Well, if that were the case, shoot her in the leg and she'll drop the knife. But no, they're going for the the, the body mass and murdering people. And that's because we've all bought into the fact that it's okay, that, that somehow black people uh, are an enigma in the United States, and 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 people are endangered by them. So to be safe, for sure, you better shoot to kill. And then we also have officers now who are alleged to have put their um, hands on their weapon, but they didn't know they were holding a gun. So uh, it seems to just be an un- unexcusable phenomenon that the only remedy are people in the streets demonstrating to 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 edge and educating people on what it means when we say Black Lives Matter, when we say Breonna Taylor, when we when we when we say look what's happening from Rodney King to today, look at the lynching, the history of lynching and death. Uh, urban death of African Americans. It's a cultural phenomenon. So we're going to need to see legislative change, and we're going to hopefully see the George Floyd Act just as a beginning pass to Congress to do something to put some grip uh, legally into making murder by the police a crime. Okay, thank you, my sister. Brother Maurice, we need to hear from you. What do we make? What messages are the law enforcement sending to the rest of the world as they continue to shoot and assassinate young African brothers and sisters? What kind of messages are they sending? Uh, They're sending a message that they've been sending since this country was stolen from Native Americans. Um. They, they, uh, you know, we are not human uh, in the Constitution. Uh, when they, when they says uh, 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 every, what, what's the, ah, uh, man, I lost the train of thought. Um, every man is equal, or you know, when they that that type of language, they understand they're not talking about an African male. Um, they talk, you know, they they are talking about the 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 the, the you know the one percent, the white male, uh, a certain uh, upper capitalist class, if you will. That's that's who they're referring to. So no, they, they, they send in the message that they've been sending. They you know, they don't give a they 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 don't you know, they don't they equate Africans with uh you know, with with slaves, less than animals, less you know, I, I don't mean to 
the, the, I do mean to be frank, straightforward. I mean, that's that's what we've been dealing with, you know. And when you ask the question of of with dealing with the George Floyd case, that was the people that did that. It was the it was the 2020 summer of what happened last year that that did that 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 put pressure on them for to get, if you want to call that, you know, a little bit of justice, crimes of justice. But that's that's what it. That was the work of the people in the street, uh, and also continuing this year, the ongoing work of going to showing up at these at 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 at, at these uh, racist homes, if you will, showing up in their yard. Um, so this is the type of this is the type of stuff that's going to, you know, this is what you call quantity and into quality. Um, this is what we're witnessing. If you understand dialectics, this is what's going on. But they're going to, and, 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 and you know, the powers of be the oppressors, they, they see this, and that's why the noose is getting tightened, tightened around our neck. Um, you know, the names are growing on a day-to-day basis. Kids, women, children. They putting teachers putting um, police officers putting foot putting sending pictures to parents with their feet or their foot on the neck of their child. So this is what we are dealing with. It's going to get worse, or it's got to get worse to for it to get better. That dialect is one on one, and I conclude. Thank you, my brother. We can go to caller with the last four numbers eight four one nine eight four one nine. We'd like to hear your comments. The mic is yours. Talk to us, caller, 8419. Hey, how you doing, Brother Africa? This is Myron calling. Hey, Myron, how you doing, Brother? Good, good, good. I'm good. Been listening to the show. The last brother kind of spoke on the same thing that I was going to speak on. But I think it's important to recognize a couple of things that are reality. Um, One, you have people in the streets, because of the fact it was also on the right that the Boogaloo Boys and the Proud Boys and other groups who came out under the pretense of wanting justice so that they could create violence, okay? So that is, we, we can't let that be lost. But I think like the brother said, one of the things we as African people in, in, in America United States have to keep in mind and recognize the Constitution has never, ever covered us. And we often uh, make the mistake to think that we can bring about a certain amount of change. And the re- truth be told, if you really go into depth, what change has ever really happened uh, as it relates to us as a people? The slavery uh, portion, again, uh, went from chattel slavery to criminal justice system, which is one. And and now, if you think about it, as people say, what is the police issue right now that is creating all the problems? You've got the Republican Party all up in arms, along with the police, upset because people protested the killing of a black man, okay? And now we, in our country, as Brother Haki had mentioned earlier, now they have come up with all of these particular legislation to stop people from protesting when something is wrong, okay? And, and that is the quiet divorce and the authoritarianism that's been coming for 50 years. 
So I just wanted to point that out, that we need to be careful sometimes of the people that we think might be in our corner uh, under the pretense that they're with the people. No, they have a, a hidden agenda because you have groups that participated under the cover of the George Floyd murder, but their real agenda was to be out there to create havoc and cause problems. So I just wanted to point that out. Points well made, my brother. Stay on the line, and we'll go to Brother Anthony and get his take. But, Brother Anthony, before we get your take on that, we would just like to know that um, what you'd like to share with us, what's going on in your world, in your community. Uh, well, interesting enough, um, I assume you, you uh, y'all are d- discussing the George Floyd uh, case and what uh, and the outcome of that. Uh, let's yes, see. Uh, there was we raised the issue, brother Anthony. What kind of messages are going out with the continuation of the assassination of African people in lieu of the recent case by George Floyd? For example, even when the case was going on, they, that, that night they had um, brothers and sisters that have been assassinated by police officers. So what kind of messages um, is the city to the world? What's your take on it's, that phenomenon? I think it sends, uh, it, the message being sent is that we have to organize to protect ourselves, basically. And that uh, one of the things that has been shattered is the myth that we have been taught from elementary school on up is that the police are there to protect us. That is not true. The police are, are, are there to protect the property of the ruling class. And and I think this is an, a very important lesson that our youth especially need to understand. Uh, the role of the police is not to protect the people. The, their, their role is to protect the property of the bourgeoisie. I think that's an important point that uh, that must be understood and may have been mentioned already. And if I'm if I'm being redundant, uh, I do apologize for that. But uh, you know, but it is is very important to understand this, and that we have to organize to protect ourselves. And uh, and also to advance, uh, you know, our struggle for genuine liberation. And uh, I think. What has happened recently has shown the limits of of merely getting fired up over the atrocities being committed by the police and military. I mean, uh, I mean, it's good to let off steam, but there's a limit to the effectiveness of that, mainly due to the fact that uh, you know the police come to expect that reaction. And uh, so it loses its effectiveness. And uh, we have to move to political, permanent political organization. And, uh, and uh, you know, people that smile on your faces, they're not necessarily your friend. 
you know, and, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, um, we've been victims of a game that's been run uh, upon us ever, ever since we gained the right to vote. Nearly 135 years, we've been either, either casting our votes for Republicans and, uh, uh, or Democrats. And neither, neither of uh, parts of this duopoly uh, care about the masses of African people. And uh, the only time they do care is to the extent that they that they find African people can be used. And uh, we have to stand uh, to to, to uh, you know together as much as possible. And uh, we gotta under, and we gotta you know uh, work in all forms of exploitation whether you're talking about men, women, or children in our community. But it takes permanent organization. We just can't get fired up for, for, for one minute when an atrocity occurs and then go back to sleep after the, the media coverage dies down. We need to be permanently organized. Uh, anything else you'd like to share, Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world community? Uh, yes. Uh, let's see. The All African People's Revolutionary Party, in conjunction with the National Council of Arab Americans, is organizing our annual African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, not bar commemoration on May 22nd. And our theme this year is One Unified Socialist Africa, One Palestine. And uh, and uh, the reason why we chose that theme is that Notbar falls close to African Liberation Day. And also, uh, Palestinians are facing similar forms of, uh, of oppression that we are that Africans around the world are. And uh and uh, especially dealing with uh the phenomena of neo uh, of settler colonialism and neocolonialism together. So that the uh so that's why we're we're commemorating it in order to shed light on the relationship of our struggles and I need to to be, to be permanently organized. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And Brother Moses, you would like to respond to the continuation of these assassinations by police officers, uh, irregardless to the last recent decision dealing with George Floyd. Your response to that phenomenon, phenomenon, Brother Moses. Well, I think I think it's been pointed out quite correctly that this country was founded on racism and founded on the subjugation of, of black people and and uh, the annihilation of the indigenous population, and that you know this country was built on the labor power of black people and and the exploitation of black people, and and it continues. The police is there to protect property, and the property obviously was not in the hands of black people, and this institution has has. Mag just uh, compounded and and intensified over the years the contradictions and uh, it's embedded in the system. It's institutionalized racism and 
that's why the manifestation of continued violence, even after the, the verdict, et cetera, uh, like I said, it's just a battle. We're in a war, and uh, there is a lot more going on than that one battle. And uh, we have to be vigilant. We have to be organized, as Brother Anthony says. We need, we definitely need organization. Uh, uh, and, you know, we we have to continuously raise political awareness and consciousness and and uh and uh continue to organize. Uh, you know, this this racist system will continue until it is it is eliminated and a new foundation can be built upon a just foundation. And so that's the problem is institutionalized and we can't there's you know, there's no reform in it. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. You'll listen to Africa on the Move. What we're going to do right now, we can go down memory lane, um, lessons from the past. That's a message um, from Brother Brother Dick Gregory. We're going to listen to him for a few minutes. When we come back, we'd like to have your response, and we will talk about our theme tonight. They are doing it their way. So let's go down memory lane. This is a message statement from Dick Gregory. Please check this out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me first say we thank and praise God that we have all made it here safely today. I pray to God that your return and my return will be equally as safe. Let me first say I'll, I'll be mentioning God, but I'm not talking about them isms and osms y'all talking about. And one day you will find out what the real thing is about. It's not about the church. When the Catholic Church elevated the first Polish cardinal to Pope, 1.5 million white folks left the church. I don't know nobody ever left a whole house because somebody came in they didn't like. And you youngsters, if you just remember one thing, stop letting us old folks tell you about how nothing you are because we the ones that left you this mess. We put a school together with a bunch of evil old men. When you stop and think about a white woman didn't get the right to vote in America to 1921, and she came over on the boat with that boy. I said, boy, if you treat your mother like that, my mama better stay in the house. (laughs) A white woman in America with a Ph.D., make 87 cents on the dollar compared to a white man. And that don't bother y'all? We give more money to foreign countries that we don't like just because they got minerals in the ground than we give taking care of our own. And they can do that 
when they keep you messed up with hatred and meanness and racism and prejudice and all of that. And let me first say to you, white folks, I will be saying some things today about white folks, but I can guarantee you. Oh, wait, will y'all listen to me? I'll guarantee you I will not be talking about you. See, I advocate it ain't about 800 white folks on the whole planet and the rest of y'all is imposters. See, white is not a color, it's an attitude. And if you don't have trillions of dollars in the bank, you can't have the attitude. Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth make $360 million every 24 hours just interest on her money. Now, them bees, white folks. <laughs> and if ever I took over the country, the first thing I would do is make all you black folks apologize to white folks, or you mad at the wrong white folks. The white folks you mad at couldn't help you if they liked you. I had a white dude ask me, well, how do you know if you real white folks? I say, well, you get up and call the Wall Street, and while you're talking, if you can't determine the stock going to go up or come down, you're not white. Somewhere. And let me first say thank you for those of you all that worked to put this together. My job's easy. All I have to do is present a body. So for those of you all to put all the work together to make this happen, we say thank you. <laughs> Secondly, let me say to those of you that do the physical part, who we never even see, the mic didn't just walk up here and the chairs didn't just, some human beings did this. And unbeknown to most of us, when we leave here today, someone will come here and straighten this place up. And so for those of you that handles that, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. And somewhere, if we learn to say thanks to a whole lot of people that we don't see, you get 20 inches of snow tomorrow. And those folks you see cleaning it up, they're invisible until tomorrow. Hmm? Invisible. Like I say, my job's easy. Somebody pick me up at the airport, somebody showing up going to take me back. Hmm? Somewhere it's about the humanities. Hmm? The humanities. We locked up into affluence and entertainers. When that universal God, not the church, picked you, it leaves no footprints. It don't give a damn about the New York Times or the Washington Post or Time Magazine or NBC or CBS. The real one. There's people in this room now that have done more for the humanities on this planet than 99% of all your athletes and entertainers put together. It wasn't entertainers and athletes or the church that made it possible for you women to sit here in this school next to men, in this America. And we're always arguing about something. And let me just stop and apologize to white folks. 
I was stupid enough to believe that all black folks looked alike to white folks. I, I ain't going to lie. I believed it until Obama become president. And I haven't, I haven't had one white person walk up to me and say, uh, excuse me, Mr. President. <laughs> so I know we don't all look alike. <laughs> and secondly, let me say to black educators, I apologize because I've had 50 honorary doctor's degree from black colleges. And in fact, I'm 80 years old. I still had that Negro stuff up here. So I said, it won't be right until I can just get me one honorary degree from a white college. I wrote white colleges where I could never heard from none until last month. Penn State called me. Okay, we'd like to give you an honorary doctor's degree. I said, no thanks. <laughs> Somewhere. I have been married 55 years. Oh, wait, I didn't say I was happy. What the hell's wrong with you? Yes, we have left a mess. Because in this country, white folks and black folks lie to you because they don't want to lose a job, but they believe in God. Hmm? We give you stuff that we know is corrupt. We, we create schools to teach you how to make a living, and the universal God says you better learn how to live. Hmm? And if you didn't have a good example, you got one now. Steve Jobs died. He had $300 billion in his personal, private checking account and couldn't make 58 years old. I got an old trifling thug cousin in St. Louis. <laughs> Drank cheap wine, stayed drunk all the time. He can't read, he can't write. He never had a job, but he 101. Steve, <laughs> Steve should have followed him. Steve dead, $300 billion in his personal. I called my cousin this morning just to make sure he was still kicking. <laughs> so we left you young folks a big mess. Did you either change it or have fun and have fun quick because recess is just about over. Right. And the lies go so deep. My mother was alive today and walked into this room. You think God just spit her out. That's how precious and beautiful and spiritual she looks. But if you try to convince my mother that Jesus Christ wasn't a Christian, she'd stomp you to death. Because <laughs> her ignorance didn't permit her to know that Christianity never started until 100 years after Jesus was dead. She didn't know that. She didn't know they killed his brother James the same way they killed him. Somewhere. 
King James. She didn't know King James was king of England. She didn't know King James was such a weird, strange homosexual. He hated women so bad he killed his mama. And his lover was Lord Buckingham, who Buckingham Palace is named after. But King James didn't lie. He didn't say this is God's version, Jesus' version, Christianity's version, Buddha's version. He said this is my version. And so if your brother wrote a book on his version on how to play basketball, I got a God intelligence to tell me, check him out first, then I'll understand his version. See, if your brother got no legs, his version going to be different. Somewhere, somewhere, and I don't know when you women going to understand who you are, understand the power you are. It wouldn't be none of us on this planet if it wasn't for women, and yet they got you believing you came second. Huh? That old filthy story of Adam and Eve, are y'all crazy? Adam was here by himself. Y'all know the story. Adam. And then he, he said one day to God, God, I am lonely. And when God didn't say, nigga, how can you be lonely when ain't nobody here but you? <laughs> he was here, nobody else. How he no lonely? But if you follow the story, here come Eve. They had two sons. You don't know the story? Cain and Abel. One son killed the other one. So let, let's do this right. There's Adam and Eve. Put, put two fingers up. Then Cain and Abel. That's four. Then one boy killed the other one. Take one down, that's three. Then he went out and begot him a wife. <laughs> now you see where the word MF come from, huh? <laughs> well, don't look so strange. You count it. <laughs> it's three people. Him, dad, and mom. <laughs> Somewhere. You Christians, y'all trip. I know because I'm one. You Christians are a trip. I shall not kill except war. Now, it didn't say that. But somebody told you. You go kill people you don't know, never met. But it's okay because some rich, powerful Human being said, here's what you, and you don't question nothing? Somewhere. Somewhere. I can go all over the world, been all over the world many times, and I can recognize a prostitute. She look like a hoe, she act like a hoe, she believe like a hoe. No, the question is, if I can recognize a whore without her telling me, how come if you don't tell me you're a Christian, I don't know you one? I go to jail and speak all over the world. Strange things. 
how come there are no atheists on death row? What is it about people that don't believe in God, don't kill folks? But you go to war saying prayers, you can come back. Let me kill them and get it over with. Somewhere. You don't care nothing about poor folks. Even poor folks don't care nothing about poor folks. Oh, they always want something free. I have a business. I have a company. I can take five hoes today all over the world, and as long as I call them hoes my secretary, it's a tax write-off. Huh? All these big restaurants you go to, and you can't afford to go. Manhattan, all over the world. Those are tax write-offs. First class, you get on a damn plane. I came back from London, France the other day. My first class ticket cost $10,000 more than the economy. And most of us wouldn't be up there if we couldn't write that off on our income tax. You love to pick on POFA, but you're not going to mess with people with power because they'll hurt you. Fear. Scared of everything. Sitting here in this college, going to take, take a damn test, and you scared. Do you know fear and God don't occupy the same space? A damn book that's dead. Huh? You can create another human being. That's the power you have. That book can't produce one faith, and you scared and nervous. I know you. I went to college. I was there. People were scared. They said, well, you're so cool. Cool. Well, I mean, what you can do? You can't do nothing but flunk me. And you smart people, I don't understand you. I walked in the class my first day in college, took the test, read it. I see I didn't know anything, so I signed it and left. <laughs> you dumb You know those dumb folks when they take a test? They put the pencil in their mouth like they're thinking. Hold their head and... You dumb. <laughs> Just find the paper and leave. And you smart people, you really a trip. Helene Tucker, she was the smartest person I ever met in school. I sit there two minutes and left, waiting on her just to wave at her. She come out two and a half hours later. I said, she must really be dumb. I said, how you do? She nervous. I, 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 I don't know. I, I got to wait till the grade. They posted grades three days later. She made straight A's. You know how dumb you got to be to make straight A's and don't know it? <laughs> Somewhere. Fear and God do not occupy the same space. When I first met one wife and met one, well, you don't need me lying, I got her pregnant. And my mother had taught us, if you get a girl. We'd like to welcome you back to the Have a Good on the Move. We just uh, have a reflection down the memory lane. Listen to Brother Dick Gregory um, sharing some words of wisdom. He often spoke about many contradictions that we can see when in society and when in this world. To my participants today, I would just like to have y'all response to what the essence of some of the major lessons that um, you got from 
uh, from the words of wisdom that he just conveyed. Start with you, Brother Anthony. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, several things. One is that he w- he w- he was not really talking about color per se. He was talking about classes that exist among human beings. Uh, in other words, people that have different relationships to the means of production and exchange. And what he was talking about in terms of how uh, how you know uh, uh, you know Africans are angry at the wrong Europeans, what he meant to say was that it was really that it was really the European bourgeoisie that they should direct their anger at. Because those are the ones that have billions uh, of dollars and control the world's resources. And yet they do not, uh, they do not do labor themselves, but they, 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 they make other people labor for them. And uh, so I think uh, I, I think we have to get, gain a better understanding of the class struggle we're bound in, because even the African bourgeoisie behaves a lot like the European bourgeoisie. And uh, so we've got to understand the phenomena of class struggle a lot better than we do. Also, uh, the contradiction uh, how a lot of a lot of people who call themselves Christians do not study Christianity carefully. I thought that was another important point he made, and that a lot of people believe, but they don't study, and uh, and uh, that's a critical mistake because. Uh, uh, a lot of us get uh, uh, get taken taken advantage of because of that, because we really don't understand the essence of our religion uh, uh, well enough, our religious practices well enough, and uh, how they uh, and how much European culture got mixed up with Christianity. And uh, so, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, that's why there's so many, uh, you know, so-called preachers and evangelists selling us a bill of goods, because a lot of people that say they believe in Christianity do not study uh, the, the principles of that religion. Uh, those were some of the things I, I took away from uh, that clip you played. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother, brother, we go, Brother Haki. What were the amazing ideas and lessons you took from this message from Brother Dick Gregory? Well, I think one of the things I think you know he 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 implies. He talks about the fact that. You know, one of the things when we when we talk about the evolution in history, uh, when we go back in terms of um, the, the the origin of West of Western civilization, one of the things very interesting. One of the first thing they did was to create a a, 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 
a covenant in which uh, leading Western scholars got together and decided that you know, Africa essentially would be you know, written out of history. And writing Africa out of history was able to justify, uh, to legitimize all kind of practices that prior to the evolution of the West uh, were frowned upon. So when we talk about the kind of materialism, the kind of individualism, the kind of self-destruction, those kind of things became the norm as opposed to, you know, as opposed to, um, as opposed to being questionable. So clearly, uh, when we talk about strategy and tactic, uh, clearly this strategy and tactic is effective even today. And, and if anybody who wants to know about this, this, this phenomenon, there's an interesting book called Historians Against History by G.W. Knowles. It's a very interesting book in terms of the, the evolution of, of the Western world in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of uh, its um, liquidation of the contributions of, of African society. Uh, but more importantly, I think one of the things that he also brings that he talks about the fact that uh, he, he talks about the fact that you know about secular humanism. He talks about the fact, you know, that um, people who don't necessarily believe in a creator, uh, people who are agnostic, who don't necessarily believe in a creator, tend not to endorse war and destruction. Uh, contrast that with people who say they believe in a creator who are very much into war. And so the question becomes: So what is it about this religion? that it propels people to actually engage in something that is destructive as killing other human beings. So clearly one of the things we have to keep in mind, I think, that when we talk about, you know, um, the ability of the Western world or, or, or systems in general, this ability in terms of conditioning people how to, be, how to think and how to behave, we have to understand that institutions play a big part of that. So in the context of Western institutions, we got to talk about three things, three, three, three variables in terms of, you know, why people behave the way people behave in the Western world. One is selfishness, the other is materialism, and the other is cruelty. So you have a situation where we, we're, we're taught to be individualistic. And so in other words, so when we look at terms of suffering going around us, we feel disconnected because their suffering is not my suffering, so therefore I don't care. Also, the question of materialism, anytime you start talking about material things to find you as a human being, then you do in everything for those for material possession. So that means killing people, that means going to war, if that means oppressing people, then you do it because, you quote-unquote, there's some material gain to be had in terms of that. Of course, uh, cruelty goes without saying. When we talk about in terms of internalizing selfishness and materialism, of course, cruelty is only the next thing, uh, next thing to manifest itself. Uh, so clearly when we, so when we talk about what's the institution in terms of inability in terms of connecting to the human soul, a lot of it speaks to, uh, you know, a long history in which this whole question in terms of, you know, that which is wholesome, or has been negated. It's not to say that through entire, the entirety of Western history has negated this question around wholesomeness when it comes to humanity, but the fact, with, with the fact that certain individuals in the Western world have been able to co-opt in, the information uh, leads us to a world today in which uh, so many people actually believe that to be selfish, individualistic, and materialistic is in fact the way you should be. And you know, one of the things that psychologists talk about, they talk about you know ego drive. You know, and one thing when we talk about institutions in the Western world. If you're programmed or, or socialized to believe that, in fact, that, uh, you know, the individualism is the way to go, uh, then you're vulnerable to all kind of manipulation because if you think the world revolves around you, then, of course, your, your any kind of compassion or empathy or, or, or concern about others takes a back seat to your own individual you know, aspirations or individual needs or drives or desires. So clearly, uh, Dick Gregory makes a point in terms of this whole question around second humanism, and I think it is important that people understand there is a real disconnect between those who, quote unquote, uh, when they talk about their love for religion, but when you look at their practice, it's totally absent. And so this whole the whole uh, nexus between fear and God 
He's absolutely correct. Uh, there's no way you can tell me that you, you believe in the creator, but then you turn around and you have the biggest fear in the world. So to the point where you're even afraid to even speak, you know, your human right to speak is curtailed because you are scared that if you speak out, somebody's going to deny your job or somebody's going to, somebody's going to assassinate you or somebody's going to do whatever. Uh, so clearly there is a real disconnect between fear and God, and I think he made a very good point in terms of pointing that out. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Brother Myron, what was the major point you would like to highlight or what you got from the message from Dick Gregory? Oh, well, for me, it's very simple, especially as it relates to religion. And uh, this is, I'm just going to be blunt about it. It's going to offend people. The, the first thing, as far as religion, that he, he basically pointed out is the education. People have been educated into believing something. And what people have been educated to believe is that the Bible is some historical document. It is not. Okay? There's none of the people in the Bible ever existed. I've researched this and read and read. You can't find them. Okay? Um, So the Europeans, and if you really understand the history, how it really came about, especially the Western civilization uh, version of Christianity, you will understand that the Roman Catholic Church was the one who uh, put it out there as a form of power and control. So he was just relaying the fact that if you believe in Christianity, you need to believe in it based on fact, okay? And that's why he pointed out some of the contradictions because it is not a historical book. No one has been able to show me in the last 25, 30 years of any individual in world history that existed. You can't find, with all of our uh, technology today, with the space station, you mean to tell me they can't find the ark? They can't find it because it never existed. It was a story. It's a Euro-Western civilization story of allegories. So he was just pointing out that our religious education is what brings about the contradiction and and the three areas in which Brother Hakeem just pointed out about materialism and the other two factors that he mentioned. That's because that's what's been taught. So when you take a Eurocentric education, that's what you're going to get, okay? As far as the other brothers, that I, and I totally agree as, in terms of class, but we have to understand historically that the, Euro, the Europeans as, as a group of people um, has always bought into this concept, okay, even, even though he made a claim that most of you are not uh, the white folks that I'm talking to, but yet they are the same white folks who, who are going to go out here in 2021 knowing that this, the Republican Party is a white supremacist, white nationalist party, pushing all kinds of undemocratic laws that they believed in and trusted in 
when power and control was all in their hands, now that they feel that they're going to lose it, they're going to put these crazy people that in the long term is only going to destroy them and destroy what they think. This is how, as I say to people all the time, if you read the history, it wasn't that many Europeans that owned slaves. So how did slavery come about? You had the masses of Europeans who did not own slaves that supported it. And so it's the same thing that the Europeans take their religion and they use it for power and control. Okay, there's nothing wrong with religion. There's nothing, I'm not saying there are no principles in the Bible, but if we study and understand that the Bible is a Eurocentric document taken out of African history, written in, in their mindset to put their place in history while eliminating our place in history. But none of the figures in the Bible ever, ever existed. And he was pointing that out. But he just wasn't as blunt as I've just been. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Marvin. And now we go to Sister Justice Eleanor. Your take on the Gregory? What did you get out of his message? Or what stood out the most from his message? Sister Eleanor. I think the most important thing from um, Dick Gregory's message is uh, his uh uh, making clear the class struggle and that uh, the white people isn't the color of their skin, but is their class economic strata uh, that he was helping us understand, especially when, for example, he talked about first class and it being a tax write-off and and discussing the tax base. He really wanted us to understand that the the struggle right now um and and God rest Dick Gregory's soul uh is a struggle of class and this struggle is so important that if we don't uh address it in this decade uh the capitalists will be selling green space in the next decade because the droughts and the global warming will be having such a horrific impact on all of us. So I think what Dick was really doing was just uh, trying to raise the consciousness of people and letting them know that uh, he's not uh, lumping white people as a group you know, a white welfare mom in West West Virginia with the white power structure. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Let's go with Brother Maurice. So we take from Dick Gregory message, Brother Maurice. Yes, yes, uh, yes. I have to um, piggyback off Brother Anthony and Sister Eleanor. The main uh, thing, a uh, couple things, but the main main point is that class. Um, that class struggle aspect, how he was talking about, uh, I forgot his name, Tim, Tim, I forgot, I forgot his name, man, I'm slipping tonight, uh, the Queen Elizabeth, he was, he was talking about how she get 260 million, I think, 
uh, a month, a year, or something like that. And and, and the other guy, uh, the guy that died, that died with Apple, um, I forgot his name at the moment. But you know, he was talking about this class, this class struggle aspect. You know, uh, and another thing, a couple things that that stuck out to me is he mentioned humanity. You know, um, when when you when you uh, you know, he and he was and honestly he was looking at it at looking at it from a humanist point of view of not class like 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 Sister Eleanor said, putting all the white folks, um, all of them are evil, uh, due to uh, a few white white folks, um, who are capitalists and who are oppressing the masses of people. You know, that's 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 like saying <laughs> you know, I, you know, it's like saying all Africans are sellout. Uh, if you look at a couple of Africans who who sold out into, yeah, I hear that time to time from our people like, oh, we ain't gonna never make it, man, because we keep selling us out. We ain't gonna never make it, and you know, and that's 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 not necessarily true because eighty ninety percent of our people are not all of us. The majority of us is not all sellouts, if you will. Um, I don't know if that was a good example or not, but I hope I'm making my point clear. And I think that's the same point that that's what I got from Big Gregory. And the last point I would like to make is, is, is his comment on elders. Uh, they have to take the blame or apologize, giving us, uh, giving the next generation apologies. Um, I kind of look at two sides to that because uh, I'm like, who, which, which elders, uh, who, which elders who are who who he's referring to that owe apologies because revolutionaries uh, who who elders who were revolutionaries. I don't feel like they owe us apology. We owe them apology for that carrying on their struggle to 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 a higher, higher level at this point, to be honest with you. Um <laughs> elders like Kwame Ray, elders like all the elders we named, Kwame Nkrumah, Malcolm X, the list goes on and on and on. Even John Brown. Um, if we not carrying on what they put in place for us, uh I think the next generation, uh the the present generation, we have to apologize to the, to those people that we wear on our T shirts, that we wear on our hoodies. That we have as a as a profile pic on social media. Well, come on, man. If we're not reading our work, if we're not joining an organization like they tell us to do, we have to. We owe them apologies. So, but I understood. I I believe I understand. Understood what Dick Gregory was talking about. I think the elders that need to uh, give us an apology is the ones who who was who who serve self interest over the community or the ones you know basically the ones who who looked out for themselves over their community, who chose their pockets over the community. They owe us more apology. So I think when when he was talking about humanity, he was looking at it. When he made that statement, he was also thinking from a humanist uh, perspective. Or, you know, and I conclude. Thank you, Brother Maurice. And we go to Brother Moses. Your thoughts, Brother Moses, on the message from Dick Gregory. Brother Moses. Are you with us, Brother Moses? What we'll do right now, trial well done, panelists and participants. What we'll do right now, we're going to pause for the calls. When we come back, we're going to ask you for your final thoughts for tonight. This is the first part of a two-part series. They are doing it their way. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move.
water and chains, living in pain. Today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, last through my journey. To get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been. And made it through my journey, yeah. And made it through my journey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Pellerino. A bloodline across the waters. From Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino is the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, 
and all the Pelorinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. Know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome back to Africa on the Move, and I believe we have a caller who's on the line. We may have not given a chance to make any comments as it relates to today's program. We're going to give that caller opportunity. Caller, we can call out your last four numbers so you can make your comments for today's program. And your last four numbers are 8419, 8419. Any comments or questions you have, caller 8419. Uh, no, Brother Africa, this is Myron. I was disconnected oh. somehow, so I was just call, yeah, calling yeah. back into the show, okay? No problem, but while we have you in line, Brother Myron, your final thoughts for today. Well, I, I didn't get to listen to the whole show, and I, and I, I just think in, in this, this – I like to maybe just say with the young brother – was talking about in terms of his perspective of Dick Gregory and the elders. And, and I think he's totally correct. If we have, if we follow, just like, you know, the elders that have come before me, that I attempt to follow their teaching, that they have made this necessary sacrifice to understand our plight, not just here in America, but worldwide, as African people who have been oppressed worldwide. So deviate from that, uh, from their teachings and their examples, because we think that there's a better way, then we're going to suffer uh, as a people because the the way has been shown to us uh, in terms of oppression. And I, I do understand some of the other perspectives that that is true. I, I think many Europeans are entrapped in their own ignorance uh, and therefore miss that they are not our enemy, but they end up being our enemy because they buy into and not see their own oppression. And I would just uh, recommend that if anyone has not read a, a couple of books, the last time I was on the show, I mentioned them, I think. But at least the book Conservatives Without Conscience, written by John Dean, and the author of the second book, I can't remember, but the name of the book is called Democracy and Change, in which you know, many Europeans uh, of, of various classes uh, that, that do not have the money, that consistently buy into the white supremacy, white nationalists, are going to soon realize that they have been hoodwinked 
and they're going to be treated as we have been treated. Uh, and therefore, when it comes to economics, they're going to find themselves very much at the bottom of the barrel and going to wonder how they got there. And they got there because they refused to recognize that our plight, that they are as oppressive as long as they continue to participate in it and the form that they do and electing officials that's going to push forward these types of uh, uh, undemocratic, oppressive legislation to strip us of our humanity or civil rights, that the next thing they're going to find out is going to be them. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Marvin, for your contribution to today's program. And we now will go to Brother Moses to get his final thoughts for today's program. Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Yes, this show is very educational. I appreciate that being allowed to be on. And uh, I wish everyone a, a great week. Uh, Hopefully, thank you. We lost Brother Moses. Call from Brother Moses. We next will go to Brother Maurice. Your final thoughts for tonight. I thank Brother Maurice. Yes. For Brother Maurice. Your final yes. thoughts for tonight. Yes, Brother African. Uh, Brother Africa. I just want to thank you, uh, Africa on the move. As always, brother, brother Anthony, brother Haki, brother Moses, uh, also sister Eleanor, and the other brother. Uh, thank you all for having having this platform constantly, and you know, every Sunday going forward, and continue to have this have these discussions, and 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 not only to have these discussions, but to understand, but helping progressing us to understand the importance of organizing, of joining an organization of political education, uh, understanding the true essence of treating your, treating treating someone or treating the next person how you want to be treated, the, treat, the true principles of humanism, um, you know, the, uh, egalitarianism, um, th- those true principles, uh, uh, not being selfish, not being individualist, but doing what's best for the whole for the whole community, and not best for oneself. Thank you all so so much for con- your continuation of having this platform, having these and and spreading this uh, true the true solution to our struggles. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Maurice. And next, we we'll go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, I'd like to thank you, Brother Africa, and everyone and all the workers that helped produce this wonderful show, and I wish you continued success in the future. It is a true educational forum. Um, The issue now with this pandemic, we should always be reminded of class struggle. A few months ago, back in February, you could go to the Florida Everglades, the county uh, name escapes me at this moment, and you could receive your vaccine. 
uh, they were folks in that same county that had to take a two-hour bus ride if they could get an if they could get a bus to get the vaccine. But if you could fly in and you had the ways and means, you were able to buy your way to a vaccine, fly your way to a vaccine. So what this tells me is that uh, what the Black Panthers used to say, they would go to rallies and they would say black power. They would say red power, say yellow power. Uh, They'd say white power because the issue isn't just the color of your skin. The issue is a class struggle. The, The issue is worker rights. The issue is saving Mother Earth right now stopping global warming and uh, creating and remembering that housing, health care, and education are human rights, making that a, a written reality. And we can do that by making sure in each municipality where we live that we take political action where legislation is written that makes these things a basic human right. And uh, with that, Brother Africa, I want to thank you and thank everyone once again for uh, remembering that liberation, education is liberation, and that's the, the way we can go forward. And Black Lives Matter simply is a platform right now to educate people of a people who have been an anomaly in a country where we've been for 400 plus years suffering without representation. And the police aren't here to protect your and my property. They're here to protect the property of the wealthy, of the rich, of the corporations, And we live in a country where a corporation has the rights of a person and where children are being gunned down by the police. Thank you, and good evening. Again, we thank you, Sister Eleanor, for your contributions to today's program. And we now will move to Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, your final thoughts for tonight. Brother Hackey, the mic is yours. Well, Brother Africa, I just, you know, hope people begin to understand the seriousness in which, you know, uh, the situation for African people in the society. Uh, You know, uh, one of the things when we talk about the the assassination of Makia Bryant uh, or the assassination of Adam Toledo or or, or DuPonte Wright, uh, when we talk about these assassinations, one thing we be very, very clear on is that when we talk about um, desire or drive in terms of limiting these kinds of uh, these kind of situations. We find on the contrary, we find a situation where those on the right, particularly in, in not only embrace these kind of killings, but they want to encourage more. And so we talk about uh, situations where states around the country are, are, are demonizing uh, uh, demonstrations. Florida is something that, I mean, was by, by any definitions very extreme. I mean, this was most insidious. But essentially what they have, they talk, when they talk about their protest laws, they got five points in which they wanted to communicate in terms of establishing of these particular laws. One was the criminalization of protests 
which has struck traffic. Of course, we understand the reality is that uh, traffic on some of is always going to be obstructed. Secondly, they want to uh, anybody who defaced a monument uh, gets fined, with, gets hit with a felony. Now, to equate you know spray spraying a, uh, a monument or not, or knocking a monument over with with some violent kind of crime, I think is outrageous. But then again, but but, but again, this sort of demonstrates the kind of uh, authoritative nature of so many on the right uh, in terms of. Um, uh, um, their pursuit of maintenance of power. Thirdly, they talk about um, charge local officials for any damage done during, to property during a, 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 a demonstration. So clearly, the essence is that what they want to do is compel leaders uh, to be to to unleash the police, to encourage police to commit more violence. And so that in itself is problematic. Fourthly, they want um, if 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 you have a confrontation with the police, say for instance, if the police decides to strike you with a baton and you Cover your, you cover your face and your head to protect yourself. It's, to, it's considered assault of police, which is mandatory six-month sentence. So clearly, uh, if this is not problematic, I don't know what it is. And lastly, this is in which which is probably very bizarre. They talk about the fact that three or more people in a protest can be charged with coercing others to change their viewpoint. Don't ask me what the hell that's supposed to mean, but apparently they're saying that just by virtue of being together at a protest and the three of you together, then what you're trying to do is trying to get people to alter their viewpoint, which is a crime. If that's not authoritarianism, uh, if that ain't Big Brother, I don't know what it is. So clearly, you know, this is this is absurd, but this is the situation that we're confronted with, and we have to realize the harshness of the situation that we're confronted with. Now, Michael German, a former FBI agent, reported the connection between police and militias and white supremacist organizations. Now, and, and ironically, in fact, uh, one of the leaders of the Oath Keepers, a guy named Jim Arroyo, he revealed active law enforcement, active law enforcement apparently is part of the movement and helps with militia training. So if the police are, in fact, assisting militias in terms of their training, then what does that mean in terms of, you know, treating people fairly when it comes to enforcing rules and, and laws? Uh, and also probably the most problematic of all is the fact that when Christopher Ray, the current FBI director, talks about the biggest threat to, to the society is uh, white supremacy and the resistance that he gets from, from leading uh, politicians in Washington. Speaks violence in terms of this kind of resistance to acknowledge that racism is, in fact, not only violent, but, in fact, is very, very detrimental to the, to the longevity of society. But the mere fact that they're not willing to even to engage that speaks violence in terms of just how much they embrace racism in fact, want racism to proliferate. So if people don't see that as problematic, particularly people of, people of color, African people, if they don't see that as problematic, then I don't know what to say to them. Uh, clearly the situation is, is, is dire, and that's just that's not hyperbole. That's real. And uh, we, 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 have to, we have to confront it for what it is. Without organization, in terms of our ability to survive in a society, it becomes extremely questionable. I'm not saying that you, you have your right to, to – uh, to believe that, in fact, if you just believe, you know, that the creator is going to protect you. But one thing I always tell people when they use that argument, I say to them, I say, you know what? The people who are committing these atrocities against others, uh, others in society are also part of creation. So it seems to me, <clears throat> just in terms of being fair, it seems to me that any deity, no deity would, 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 would favor one set of creation against another set of creation if, in fact, they are deity. So it seems to me, <laughs> you know, this notion somehow, you know, that you're going to be saved some by virtue of belief, uh, to me, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, but anyway, 
Uh, let me let me just conclude by saying, Brother Africa, as always, I encourage people, you know, to unravel the matrix. Uh, I think that is key. And uh, one thing is clear, you know, nothing's going to change. Uh, as much as we like it, like things to change, the bottom line is that we have to become organized and self-sufficient because we really don't have a choice because the people conditions of power don't have our best interests at heart and are willing to act on their, dis- their disdain for African people. So clearly we got to work cut out. And as always, Brother Africa, you have a good night. We'll see you next week. And the same to you, Brother Haki, and thank you for your contributions to today's program. Next we have Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for today's program. The mic is yours. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa, and uh, revolutionary greetings to you. Uh, the fellow panelists and and a listening audience. I want to uh, thank uh, uh, thank you again for this opportunity, and I want to urge people that, in light of what we've heard tonight and what we've read and, and uh, studied over the past several months, it becomes more important than ever for all Africans that are generally for the liberation of our people to join an organization that is working for our people's liberation. One such organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. And you can learn more about our organization by visiting our website and also by participating in our African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, not by commemoration, which will take place on May 22nd, 2021, uh, from 12 noon uh, to 3 p.m. This event will be virtual. Uh, so, uh, so if you have access, have uh, internet access or a phone, you can uh, check us out if uh, if you have time, and also learn about why we why we chose the theme, one unified socialist Africa, one Palestine, because. Uh, uh, that uh, even though uh, we're different people, there are many similarities between the oppression suffered by African people worldwide and the Palestinians worldwide. And uh, we have to, uh, you know, uh, unite with people that are engaged in similar struggles that we are in order to defeat our enemies. Thank you, and please check out our website and join an organization that is working for our people's liberation. And again, Brother Anthony, your website link is? The website link is www.a-aprp-gc.org. And we thank you for that information and your participation on today's program. Thank you, Brother Anthony, and to all our participants, to our listeners, to our supporters, to our special guests, Sister Johanna. We'd like to thank all of y'all who have contributed to this program, and we'd like to remind you that, remember, this program is a weekly program. You can hear us every Sunday evening. 
from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can join us always by calling at 323-609-0841. If you'd like to have a copy of this program or others, please email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com with their email contacts. We also would like to hear your comments and input in terms of how we can improve this program, and you're open to participate if you have something to say to your people. Before we go out tonight, we'd like to make a couple of announcements. Our first announcement, we want you to pin this on your agenda. We'd like to invite you to come and join Africa on the Move, our funeral ride trip to Cuba, the last week of December, and the beginning of the new year, first week in January 2022. Please, if you are interested in going and the others, please email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. Also, for those who want to know more about Mumio and participate and support, support what's going on around his well-being, we'd like you to um, take some notes from a recent press release which states that for information release, this was on the 23rd of April, they want you to contact Janine Africa at 610-704-4500. Contact Janine Africa at six at six one zero seven zero four four five two four on April twenty six two thousand twenty one eleven a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Moon family will hold a press conference, which will be tomorrow, at the corner of the Fifty Second and Lotchwood, across from Malcolm X Park, located in West Philly, to inform people of the treachery that. This government and connecting entities is still perpetuating against the Moon family, sophisticatedly as demonstrated in the two articles published in Philadelphia Inquirer, talking about the defiling of what they claim are the remains of our family members. On May 13, 2021, marks the 36th year anniversary of this government horrific bombing in their attempt to annihilate move members, six adults and five children, in addition to the total sanctioned destruction of a black African-American community. The atrocities continue now in the guise of forensic investigative research. Move and demand justice and peace for our murdered children and move family. Join the Move family, several knowledgeable speakers and concerned citizens again on Monday, April 26, 2021, at 11 a.m. to hear more about these articles and Move response. On the Move, contact the Dean Africa, 610-704-4524. So that's the announcement. Again, with Mumia and the Mumia Bujama movement, Move, and please support it. And until next time, let's continue to strive to go forward wherever. I will never support Africa on the move by sharing, just sharing and spreading the word to your friends, your network to join us every Sunday. And as always, if you'd like to support this program, please write us and join our fan club by writing us so we can tell you how you can support this program and become a fan member of Africa on the move. We need your support. So until next time, we know victory is certain, and the biggest weapon that can destroy our enemy is the weapon of organization.
We want you to be organized. If you are not organized, you're acting as the enemy to your people. So until next time, remember, Africa is on the move. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. Welcome to Pilgrim And to the Buffalo Who once ruled a plane Like the vultures Circling beneath the dark clouds Looking for the rain Looking for the rain Just like the city that stagger on the coastline in a nation that just can't stand much more. Like the forest buried beneath the highway, never had a chance to grow. Never had a chance to grow. And now it's winter Winter in America Yes, and all of the healers Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know it's winter in America and ain't nobody fighting cause nobody knows what to say save your soul Lord knows from winter in America the constitution a noble piece of paper with free society the struggle but they died in vain and now democracy is a ragtime on the corner hoping for spring it's looking like he's hoping hoping for spring and I see the robbers first in barren treetops Watching last its races marching across the floor But just like the peace behind that vanished in our dreams Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter in America and all of the healers have been killed
noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. Go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards on the Europe or European. You will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look on the Africa and the Africans, the only entries on the Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negroes. 